0: Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, Well, I want to say to you, Happy Easter! That's right. Today we begin a brand new series of messages that will take us all the way through Eastertide. Uh, And you didn't mishear me. Easter is not a single day on the Christian calendar, uh, but rather it is a 50-day season uh, that follows the 40-day season of Lent. And the timing there is no coincidence at all. We spend 40 days of confession, reflection, recognizing our sinfulness, and then we spend 50 days of focused celebration on resurrection life. That is to say that in the kingdom of God, the feast always outlasts the fast. Amen? Are you guys, are you guys here this morning? That's right. The, in the kingdom of God, the feast always outlasts the fasts. So, the series that we're beginning today that will take us all the way through Eastertide to Pentecost is a series called Light and Love. Light and Love. It is a, it is a series uh, studying through the biblical book of 1 John. Uh, 1 John is the first in a series of three letters 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, the author of 1 John is actually anonymous, we don't know exactly who it is, uh, and the author of Second and Third John identifies himself simply as the elder. Uh, so we don't really know who this is, but what we do know is that the voice and the style uh, of, of each of those three books, along with the gospel of John, are each identical to one another. Uh, and so the four Johns, John the Gospel, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are all assumed to be written by the same John because they have identical voice and styling, uh, style of writing. And most assume that it is John, the disciple of Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are three letters that John wrote to house churches that he was overseeing. They were likely near the city of Ephesus. And while technically a letter, 1 John actually reads a lot more like a poetic sermon, uh, which is why I love it. (laughs) It's a sermon on paper. Uh, All three letters address a crisis that is happening in these house churches. And the crisis is this. There is a group of dissenters who have left the church uh, claiming that Jesus is not uh, Israel's Messiah, nor is Jesus the Son of God. And so these dissenters uh, are are causing trouble, they're stirring up all kinds of trouble, they're making these claims. And instead of just leaving the community quietly, when they left, uh, they, didn't do, they didn't leave peacefully, but instead they caused a whole bunch of problems for those that stayed inside of the church community. And so what John is doing is he's writing to uh, address specific issues that are going on to encourage those that did stay uh, and and, and to encourage them and to address these issues that have come up because of this group of dissenters. Now, John's particular goal, I got to give you all this context, right? And then we'll get to the good stuff. Uh, And some of you are like, this is the good stuff. And that's true. Uh, So John's particular goal in the first book is to remind the followers of what they already believe. Uh, that is to say that John admits up front he is not presenting them with any new information. He's not presenting them with any new ideas, but rather he is just trying to say, this is the gospel which you have believed. Uh, that sounds a lot like our Easter sermon. If you remember last week, uh, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, addressing a similar issue. This time uh, there were dissenters who were saying the resurrection of Christ isn't real. And so Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel that was preached to you and to which I have received. Uh, And so again, when we we read 1 John, we're reading uh, John reminding these communities of what they have already learned. In fact, he isn't offering any new information, but rather emphasizing truths that were taught by Jesus that John records in his gospel. Now, the series is called Light and Love because there are two images that anchor this poetic sermon. Two images that anchor this poetic sermon, and they are, in fact, light and love. Light and love. John makes two really bold statements. First uh, 1 John 1, 1.5, he says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Uh, And and I was tempted to just kind of let that rest for a good solid 10 minutes and then just say you're dismissed. (laughs) Because that'll preach. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And then John says later on in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8, he says, God is love. God is Love. Light and love. Uh, what we find out, and what we'll find out throughout this series, is that these two images uh, serve as the anchor to the sermon. Uh, These two images, John makes these bold statements, and then he really just spends time exploring what does that mean, what does it look like, what does it mean for us, what are the implications of these two truths. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, and God is love. Uh, But before we explore that throughout the rest of the series, we need to look at John's introduction. It's found in 1 John. Uh, chapter 1, and I want to read verses 1 through 4. Uh, in case you have a hard time finding First John, it's way in the back of your New Testament, just past Second Peter. Uh, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. <laughs> uh, but it's right there in the back. And I want to read the first four verses. Uh, 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched... This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and what we have heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, 1 John 1, 1 through 4 is very similar to how John actually begins his gospel in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. As a reminder, the gospel of John begins this way, In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. He'll go on to say in verse 14 that the word became flesh, and then, and the Greek here is actually tabernacled among us. The word became flesh, and he made his home with us. The word was with God, the word was God, and that same word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And then we look at this first verse of of this letter, 1 John, which says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. There's all kinds of of themes that match up here. First of all, the word uh, that is there in the beginning, and then this then the word becoming flesh and tabernacling among us. And John says, We've seen and heard and touched and felt, and all of these kinds of, of, of very physical adjectives to describe their experience of this word. In other words, in the, in the, this is a Sunday school answer who is the word? It's Jesus, <laughs> right? But, but what, what he wants us to understand is some very particular things about who Jesus is. You see, for John, the name God refers to both the Father and the Son. The Son comes to give life to the world and reveals to us the Father. And so anytime that John says God, he has in mind the Son who has revealed the Father to us, has, who has been sent by the Father in order to give life to the world. In other in other words, this means that for John, he has no understanding of who God is apart from Jesus Christ. This is huge. God is like Jesus. Jesus fully reveals God. There is no separation between what God is like and what Jesus is like. And in fact, this is a consistent uh, with the witness of the rest of the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. John 1 18 says this, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes this, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of God lives in bodily form in Jesus. In his masterpiece, Mere Christianity, author C.S. Lewis puts it this way, Jesus is what the Father has to say to us. Uh, but somewhere, I submit to you that somewhere along the way of Christian history, we have lost this truth, right? Uh, it, we can sit in a, in a church service and hear God is like Jesus and say amen and say yes, that's right and, and that's true and everything else, but how true is it that when we really think about who God is, we like to hold on to a Jekyll and Hyde view of who God is, where there's a good side and there's a bad side. There's a good cop and there's a bad cop, <laughs> And we want to make Jesus the nice, merciful, forgiving side of God, and we want to make the Father the vengeful, angry side of God who will get you in the end if you don't shape up, if you don't act the right way, if you don't believe the right things. But I submit to you that this view, this Jekyll and Hyde view of God is foreign to the New Testament writers and is foreign to the early church fathers. God is fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ. This truth is necessary background for what John is about to say for he says this in verse 3. He says, "We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, but our fellowship is with the Father and in his son and his son Jesus Christ." This begs the question, who is the we and who is the you? We proclaim to you this incredible truth so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Who is the we and who is the you? The we is the apostles who saw and heard and touched this word of life, the eyewitnesses of Jesus. That's the we. Can you imagine it? Being the eyewitness of the very life of God. The you is the next generation of Jesus' followers. He says, we proclaim to you. So we, being the first eyewitnesses of Jesus, the very first apostles, we proclaim it to you. There is no you without a proclamation. Amen? We proclaim to you, those who are the next generation of Jesus' followers, those, who, those to whom they are passing on the faith, And then he says this, he says, we have proclaimed this to you so that you might be brought into fellowship with us and our fellowship is with God. The importance of this cannot be overstated. And so it's this, when we share the gospel with you, you are brought into fellowship that we have with God. Are you with me? Now, the word fellowship here is the Greek word koinonia, which means literally participation. Now, this, as I was studying this week, this threw me off. I always thought that the actual Greek meaning of koinonia was potluck, uh, but it turns out it is not. Uh, but rather, it means participation. Koinonia is participation, and, and this is significant. You see, koinonia becomes this shorthand way of saying participation in the light and the love of God. Our fellowship is with you are being brought into fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with God. But fellowship is not just potluck, social gathering, this or that. It is participation and so what John is essentially saying is koinonia becomes this shorthand way of saying that you are participating with us in the divine light and love of God. Are you with me? This is another step in how we tend to think of community or fellowship. In other words, John does not have in mind that the, but what the apostles were about to do were to go shouting truth propositions that people could agree with. John does not have in mind, as he says, we have proclaimed this truth to you, he does not have in mind dumping information into people's brains and calling it discipleship. John does not have in mind a divine fact-sharing mission. What John has in mind is participation in the divine life of God. In other words, he's saying that we, the apostles, We have learned as best as we can to learn to walk in the ways of Jesus, this this fundamentally different way of life called the kingdom of God. We have have learned that and we are learning that and we invite you to join us in it. We pass it along to you. Not not just information, not just belief, not just all of these propositional truths, but all all of those things and a participation in walking in the way of Jesus. That's koinonia. Participation, not just potluck. (laughs) And John's point is that the apostles were participating in it and then inviting others to participate as well. And in so doing, they were sharing the very life of God with others. So, picture this. There is a junior high dance. In the middle is a dance floor. All along the edges of the dance floor are all of the students who are not on the dance floor (laughs) and who are trying to navigate awkward social structures. Right? Some of you remember these days. The music is playing, but no one is dancing. And there is this sense in which the music that fills the room is there in order to motivate them to dance. But the social pressures, the social structures, the social boundaries are so strong that they resist the call, they resist the invitation of the music to dance. Until finally, just a few, a small handful of apostles go to the dance floor and they begin to move and they start to dance. We have a lot of dance parties in my house. And one day I told Jaden, here's how you dance. You just let the music in. That's how you dance. You just let the music in, and then whatever the music tells your body to do, you just follow, you know? You just let it in. And so there were a few, those apostles, They started going in, and the first few on the junior high dance floor are the eyewitness apostles. And they say, we have seen, and we have heard, and we have touched this word of life. And let me tell you, there is joy, and there is freedom, and there is grace available to you. If you will just let go of the bonds and the structures that are keeping you off of the dance floor, you just got to come in and dance. You with me? Come on, come on. Now, there those few that are experiencing the life and the freedom and the joy of the dance floor proclaim their experience to others and they invite them in. You know, I don't, I don't expect that many of you will join me today, but that's all right. I kinda knew I'd be up here alone, right? But they make an invitation and guess what? Some of those people respond and they are the you. But inherent to the response is a dance. In other words, you can't say yes to the life and the joy and the freedom and remain where you are along the side. You have to get onto the dance floor and start moving your body. See what I'm saying? Come on, it's a metaphor and it's deep if you're not distracted. I promise you, this is gold right now. This is gold. In other words, you can't learn information about the dance and think that you know it. You can't learn information about the dance and think that you know it. You can't learn vocabulary of the dance and call it dancing. To experience the freedom of the dance requires that you dance. Did you hear me, church? You can't learn information about the dance and call it dancing. You can't know all the right vocabulary, all the right words to say, and still call it dancing. I almost went to, oh, there we go. That's right. That's right. There we go. Now, listen, when you do, when you find out. When you do finally dance, and when you finally respond to the call, you will find that those first apostles to the dance floor were actually right. There is life and joy and freedom in the dance. Listen, church, the music is the divine presence that encircles us all. And it is an invitation for you to enter in. And you cannot enter in by knowing the right words. You cannot enter in by knowing all the right vocabulary. You cannot enter in by having all the information because that's not fellowship. That's not koinonia. Koinonia is getting from the edge of the junior high dance floor and getting in the middle and moving the body. Because when you do that, you have entered into koinonia, fellowship, partnership, and participation with not just your fellow dancers, but with the mover himself. Come on. You see what I'm saying? Now, what we tend to think of fellowship, we tend to think of social terms. We picture things like church potlucks, life groups, or something like that. And that is good, and those are valuable, and that is fellowship. But I want to increase our understanding of that and say, if we understand koinonia in all of its fullness, it redefines these times of fellowship and moves them from the realm of the social to the realm of the divine. Are you with me? That if we really understood koinonia, if we really understood what is happening in those moments, we will discover that we are participating in the divine dance. That what is actually happening when we share a meal together, when we share our joys together, when we share our pains with one another, when we wrestle with truth together, all of these things are participation in the divine life of God. They are literally a participation in the light and the love of God and who he is. And those communal practices are beginning to help us walk in the light as he is in the light, as John will tell us, and helping us to share in the love of God. And But there is this key element, this key element, the dancers invite others to dance with them. Can you imagine someone on the dance floor experiencing all the life and the joy and the freedom of the dance and then not inviting others to come with them? Can you imagine someone dancing on the dance floor and enjoying all the divine life of light and love and joy and freedom and grace, and yet they say, oh, no, go ahead and stay on the sideline. It's better there. No way, right? Any of you that had the courage to dance at a junior high dance know that it's more fun than the sideline and all the social awkwardness of the the sideline. It's a lot better in the middle, right? Right? The dancers invite others into the dance. Church, today we need to realize that Christianity is a received faith. We don't get to make it up. But we have received it from those dancers who have said, come and dance with us. And that's part of the reason why we, we read these prayers from the Book of Common Prayer, that's part of the reason why we follow the liturgical calendar, is because, guess what? I don't have enough wisdom on our own to lead us into the divine life of God. But I believe that we have some wisdom that has been passed down and some language of how to engage with God in prayer and some rhythms that are valuable in life, and those we've received those, and so we take the wisdom of our fellow dancers and we say, "We'll dance with you." And then, part of, the, part of the challenge is that the church always has to come up with new moves. <laughs> right? We can't always dance like they were always doing back there. We gotta, we gotta incorporate their steps with some new ones, you know? <laughs> what is that called, the train or something? I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like the shopping cart, you know? Like, hey, pull, pull, take it off the shelf, put it in the cart, you know what I'm saying? So, some of you are like, stop dancing. Um, <laughs> And if that's what you're saying, you missed the point. (laughs) All right, so here it is. Christianity is a received faith. We need to pass it on to others. We invite others to participate in God's own light and love. And as those enjoying the dance, we are compelled to invite others and pass it along just as it was passed down to us. But here's the temptation. As we share our faith, we are tempted to anchor our message in all sorts of things that are not Jesus. Aren't we tempted as we pass on the faith to lose the joy of the dance and just say, yep, I gotta keep dancing? And we go from being light on our feet to just the drudgery of, i got to keep this going. And we tend to try to pass along the faith and make it about all kinds of other things, like rules. We may even be tempted to make, make it all about the Scripture or the church or tradition, but I want to say to you today that we must anchor our shared message. The proclamation of the message must be anchored in Jesus Christ, the full revelation of God. Most of the time we say, if you were to ask a Christian and say, why do you believe in Jesus? They might say, I believe in Jesus because the Bible says so. And then if you say, well, I believe, why do you believe in the Bible? They might say, because the Bible says so. (laughs) This is a classic example of a cyclical argument that goes nowhere. And so we might, most of the time we might say, I believe in Jesus because of the Bible. I believe in Jesus because of tradition. Or some people, I can't believe in Jesus because of the church, and what I want to do is I want to flip that whole thing around and say, I believe in the Bible because it it reliably points me to Jesus. Did you hear that? I believe in the scriptures because they are the witness to Jesus who is the full revelation of God. I believe in tradition because of its witness to Jesus throughout history and I choose to be part of an imperfect church because it was ordained by Christ to proclaim his message in the world. You see, we're tempted to make, as we pass along the faith, we're tempted to, make the, we're tempted to anchor our message in all sorts of things that aren't Jesus Christ himself, the full revelation of who God is. And our life and our dance with him through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the witness of the scriptures, as we depend on tradition, as we lean on community. You see, all of these things are needed and necessary, but they can't replace Jesus. I thought <laughs> for sure I'd get a huge amen there. That's <laughs> okay. These things can't replace Jesus. Right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. I got I love this group over here today, man. It's great. <laughs> They're with me. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> and now listen. Verse 4. Verse 4 is like so confusing, right? Uh, they, they come to, to all this and they say, you know, we're going to do this to make our joy complete. And, and this sounds odd, right? Like, aren't you proclaiming like, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to make their joy complete? Or... Your joy complete? Why would John say we do this proclamation in order for our joy to be made complete? This, at first glance, makes no sense. Seems rather selfish. But what does it mean? Well, for John, there's joy in proclaiming the gospel and expanding the circle of fellowship. For John, there's joy in the proclamation and the expansion of the circle of fellowship. Or, to put it another way, dance parties are way more fun than dancing by yourself. (laughs) You got it? My hope is that all of you will go home dancing. (laughs) And it would be amazing if that was quite literal, Uh, But even if it's not, I hope that all of us will leave dancing with the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the joy, the life, the freedom that you bring, that resurrection brings. And God, I pray today that as we, as the people of God, Seek to absorb this message and what it means for us to have fellowship with you, participation in the divine life of God. And then to proclaim it to others so that we can be faithful to pass on the faith. God, I pray that you would help us in this endeavor. When the dance becomes drudgery, would you renew and restore the joy of our salvation? When the dance becomes all about rules and just doing what we should do, what we've been taught that we should do, God, connect us to your spirit. God, help us to know the Son who fully reveals the Father. God, help us to really grab a hold of this truth that Jesus fully reveals you to us. God, help us to really hold on and and, and grab a hold of this truth that you are light and in you there is no darkness at all that you are love without qualifications. And so, God, today, may all of us be moved by your Spirit. And may we respond to you in a way that is appropriate for the way in which you are speaking to our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.